You are listening to Press Church Podcast. Please enjoy this week's message. Psalms 23, I felt like God wanted to give us some new revelation on that passage of Scripture. And it starts in Psalms 23, verse 1, where it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I felt like the Lord wanted to reveal himself during this sermon series and show himself in the different ways that he presents himself. So there's different names of God that we see throughout the scriptures. And so in Psalms chapter 23, verse 1, we see the name of God revealed, Jehovah Ra, which is the Lord is my shepherd. And as soon as we make the declaration in our lives that the Lord is our shepherd, that we are going to follow him, we are going to be a part of his sheepfold, we are going to be a part of his flock, we are going to let him lead, guide, speak, help, all of those things to us, then we see the rest of the blessings of Psalms 23. So the first thing you have to do is make the decision in your life who you are following, and the Bible is so clear on who we should follow, the Lord, who is our shepherd. And then once we decide that, all of these blessings and benefits happen. The first benefit happens, I shall not want. The second benefit happens in Psalms 23, verse 2. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. We see the second name of God here, Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. The third benefit, he leads me beside the still waters. Verse 3, we see that he is presenting himself in this passage as Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. He restores my soul, the fourth benefit. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake, the fifth benefit. Last week we talked about Psalms 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, the next benefit. For you are with me, the next benefit. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And we talked about the name of God there, so I can remember, Jehovah Sabbath, the Lord of hosts, the head of the armies of heaven is here to protect you. And now we're going to talk about Psalms 23, verse 5. And there are three benefits there that we're going to go through today. The ninth, tenth, and eleventh benefit. You, the shepherd, God, prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy. The ninth benefit. The tenth benefit, you anoint my head with oil. And the eleventh benefit, when you are under the shepherd, your cup runs over. And the name of God that we see himself presenting him is what we saw in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, where God reveals himself as God Almighty or El Shaddai. That name means the all-sufficient one, Lord God Almighty, most powerful. He is the all-sufficient one. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, that we talked about in the offering, is the first time that God reveals himself to humanity as El Shaddai. And he reveals himself to a 99-year-old man named Abram, and he tells him, I am the all-sufficient one. Because at that time, Abram was under the impression that he was supposed to be the father of many nations, and he hadn't had a child yet, and his wife was getting older, and he was getting older, And they said, how's this going to work? And in Genesis 17, he reveals himself. He says, I'm the all-sufficient one. I'm the most powerful one. And he changes Abram's name from Abram to Abraham in that passage. And not too long after that, wah, 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 
the miracle, the promise is revealed. The all-sufficient one, the most powerful one, made a way where there seemed to be no way. Another scripture that talks about El Shaddai is Psalms 91. We talked about, we highlighted Psalms 91 last week. But in Psalms 91, verses 1 and 2, it says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of El Shaddai, of all-sufficient, of most powerful. Verse 2 says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge in my fortress, my God. In him will I trust. I will say, I will say, not the pastor, not my kids, not the government, not my spouse. There's a point in time in each and every one of our lives where you're going to have to put your foot down and say, I'm going to say, I know the circumstances around me says completely different, but I serve the all-sufficient one. I serve the most powerful God of all gods, the almighty God, the sustainer. I'm going to say today my situation changes. He's my refuge. He's my fortress. He's my God. He's my shepherd. In him I'm going to trust. God, the almighty, powerful God. He's the sufficient God. And we see in this passage of these three benefits of being a part of his flock that he prepares and sets the table for us. He has set and given us all the oil to be anointed. And he has enough to fill our cups. And not only fill our cups, but make it run over. Praise God that we have an all-sufficient Shepherd. Let's look at the ninth benefit. Psalms 23, verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, if you've done really any study on any war, chances are you have not heard. If you look at World War II and the Allied and the Axis powers, fighting. If you take something like Pearl Harbor, the Japanese are attacking Pearl Harbor. We don't see the soldiers all bring out a table. They put out some nice lace tablecloths, put out fine china. They sit down, they start eating a meal. Because normally in battle, in war, soldiers We don't have time to eat. That's why we have MREs, meals ready to eat. I can rip the bag open. I can rip the cracker open. I can eat that, but I've got to put bullets down. we got to fight because if somebody's attacking me, then I've got to attack them so that I don't lose. But when you're with the shepherd, when you're in the flock, when the wolves are all around, when the bears are all around trying to attack the sheep, what the shepherd does is he prepares the table. He says, why don't y'all sit down? Let's have a meal. What if we praise God and celebrate it just a little bit early while the enemy thinks he has you surrounded? What if we threw a party when the enemy thought that he had us surrounded? What if we celebrated just a little bit early? I watched football yesterday, and there were some upsets that happened, but I didn't see one team rush the field in the third quarter. 
I didn't see the fans rush the field in the third quarter and say, yay, we won, we beat them. No, you don't rush the field, you don't celebrate until the fourth quarter and the scoreboard and the time says zero. You don't celebrate till the win happens, but that is not how it happens in the Christian world. Jesus is already the victor. He's already given you the victory, so therefore he says you celebrate any time you want. You throw the party any time you want. In the middle of your darkest hour is the time that you start celebrating and worshiping him because the, va- the victory is already yours. The walls of Jericho had not even fallen down yet, and they're standing there yelling and celebrating, which caused the war- them to fall down. David is standing there in front of Goliath and all the armies of the Philistines and he starts gloating and celebrating before he's even done one attack to the Philistines or to the giant. He says, you uncircumcised Philistine, who do you think that you are? Today, he says, the birds are going to eat your carcass. Today, I'm going to take the sword from you and I'm going to cut off your head. And he hasn't done one thing to attack the enemy. He hasn't done one maneuver to try and outsmart the enemy. He hasn't done one thing, but he sat down at that table and started preparing to celebrate the victory while his enemies were surrounding him. El Shaddai, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. What if in the middle of your circumstance you decided to throw a party and confuse the enemy? Sit and eat and relax and trust that Jesus is going to show up. John, Jesus speaks in the book of John, John 16, verse 33. This is Jesus speaking. The words are in red. It's him saying it, not me. He says, these things I have spoken to you. Just so you know that it's him speaking it, he wants to confirm, hey, there's nobody else telling you this. It's me that's telling you this. You may have peace. That in me, you may have peace. Amen. So why is he saying that? Well, the next sentence, in the world you will have tribulation. Uh Uh-oh. See, a lot of people, they just stop at that point right there. They know that Jesus can bring them peace. They know that Jesus is peace. They know that there's an opportunity to be saved, to get an answer, to experience something in Jesus. And they also know that in the world, bad things happen. And that's where a lot of Christians and that's where a lot of people live. Well, I know that God's done stuff for other people, and he's, he's, he's shown up, and, and there's that really, really Christian person at church, and, and God always answers their prayers. Or that grandma who's always praying, God always talks to her. But bad things always happen to me. Bad things always happen in the world. Why is this happening? And we end right there thinking that that is our, our lot in life. But Jesus, knowing that, says, but... In the world, you will have tribulations, but, which means stop what you're doing, know that whatever happened before the but can be altered and changed after the but, but be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. Yeah, bad things are going to happen, but be of good cheer. Sit down at the table and eat and rest with me. Because I've overcome the world. For fun, we can just guess what could potentially be on that prepared table that is set before us to eat. 
In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, we, we hear about the fruit of the Spirit. And we could eat the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, self-control. Urgh, don't eat that one. Push that one off the table. That must be the broccoli of the fruit of the Spirit. We have bread. We talk about it in communion all the time. Jesus' broken body. When Jesus encounters uh, the, the non-Jewish woman, and she's asking for her daughter to be healed. He says that the, the children's bread, it's not for them. But now us in the new covenant know that the children's bread, healing is for us. 1 Corinthians 11, there's wine on that table. Jesus' blood represents the new covenant. In Matthew, Jesus tells his disciples, take it all, drink it all. Take all of the new covenant. There's water on that table, everlasting water. In John chapter 4, when he talks to the woman at the well, he says, what you're drinking is just regular water. You'll be thirsty again. But I have everlasting water. I have fresh water. You'll never thirst again. In Isaiah chapter 12, it talks about drinking from the wells of salvation. Water on that table. We also see Paul talking about feeding new Christians milk and more experienced Christians as we grow in the faith eating meat. There's meat, there's milk, there's things. Whatever you need is on that table. We see the prime example of someone preparing, the shepherd preparing a table for his flock in front of his enemies. At the Last Supper with Jesus, Jesus is about to go to the cross. The devil thinks he is one. He thinks he's got him surrounded he thinks he's figured it out. If he can just kill Jesus, then he'll destroy whatever plan God has been putting in place for all of these years. And what Jesus decides to do is sit down at a table. And he decides to eat with his disciples. And he decides to share communion with them. But not only is he eating with his disciples, he's also eating with one of his enemies. He's looking right face to face with Judas. He literally dips bread in the wine and he offers it to Judas to eat. And he tells Judas, go do what you have to do. And it says, immediately the devil entered him and he left. But they're celebrating communion after Judas has left. And it's the biggest party, I think, that Jesus is throwing. Because he's making an open mockery to the devil as they're taking communion. He tells his disciples, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat and do in remembrance of me. And it says he takes the cup and he says, this cup is my blood which is poured out for you. Take and drink and do in remembrance of me. And he says, I will not drink of the cup until I have risen again. Jesus is making this statement about his body being broken before he has had one beard hair pulled out. He is making this statement before he is punched. He is making this statement before he is lied about. He is making this statement about his body being broken, his blood being poured out, before he ever has stripes on his back, before he ever has nails put in his hands, before one thorn scratches his brow. He's making this statement 
that he has already won. He's already defeated the devil before he has ever hung on that cross, before he has ever made the statement, it is finished, before he has ever breathed his last breath and given up his ghost, before he has ever laid in the tomb, before he's ever risen from the dead, and before he's ever ascending up into heaven where he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. He prepared a table in front of his enemies and made an open mockery of them and says, whatever you're about to do is about to change and transform the world. And he's asking you and inviting you to come and sit at his table with him. I think in some capacities we get this spiritual warfare fight messed up. We have to hoop and holler and cast out the devil and yell at him get out and flee and do all this stuff, when he says in the middle of all the enemies, we can just sit and rest. Join Jesus at the table. If he's sitting, then why don't you join him and sit at the table of victory with him today? There's a statement that I've heard that people have spoken in the past that says, history is written by winners. History is written by winners. Well, guess what? We have a book of history that is written by the winner and has been given to us as winners. It says in the scriptures, you are victorious. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. History is written by winners. I don't know what your history has looked like up to this point, but from this point forward, my history is going to be that of me winning of God being on my side, of me being victorious, of me getting the answers and the prayers that I need responded to so that my life changes from this point on. I'm not going to let the enemy keep attacking me and coming against me. I am going to sit and rest knowing that God is on my side, the all-sufficient one is on my side, the shepherd is on my side, Jehovah Jireh, the provider, is on my side. So who can be against me? Hebrews chapter 10 Verses 12 through 14. But this man, family, there are so many men who have gone out there and died. Men die all the time. Humanity dies all the time. There have even been humans who have died for other people. People have died for their families. People have died for their countries. But the writer of Hebrews makes a statement where he says, this man talking about Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice on the cross where he yelled out, it is finished for sins forever. What did he do? Did he go to the devil and say, put him up, come on, show me your dukes, let's make this happen. What did Jesus do? Sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 13 says, from that time when he yelled out it was finished, he is just waiting till his enemies are made his footstools, propped up in his recliner, hanging out, not worried, knowing that he has the complete victory. Verse 14, for by one offering, he has one thing that Jesus did. It is finished, was good enough for God, then it should be good enough for you. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those, that's you, that's me, who are still being sanctified, perfected us forever. Whoo! I have the victory. God is on my side. He has perfected me, and he's helping me through my sanctification. He's helping me get those thoughts out of my mind, getting those emotions in right. 
getting those sin things that I'm dealing with pushed off to the side. But he's already perfected me to help me get through whatever the enemy is doing or trying to do. All right, here we go. We're landing the plane now. Tenth benefit, you anoint my head with oil. You anoint my head with oil. If we look in the Old Testament, the anointing of oil was used for special circumstance in the Old Testament. They would use oil to anoint kings. They would use oil to anoint prophets. They would use oil whenever they would make these sacrifices. They would use oil when they would go to the temple or they would, they would uh, cleanse or do different things in the temple. It was very special. It was very significant in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, on what they did and how they did with oil. It wasn't just a willy-nilly thing where you could go to the local grocery store, buy a pint of oil, and just spray it over everybody. It was very specific in how and when and why. And then we see that God anointed Jesus. And I think I quoted this scripture already, Acts chapter 10, verses 38. How God, this is Peter speaking to the first Gentile in Acts chapter 10, as the conversion happens, as we were allowed access into the kingdom. He's preaching, and this is what he says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now, you have to understand this, that Jesus is all about, we've talked about God being a giver, but Jesus cannot withhold things from his people. It is just not in Jesus' nature. He just wants to give everything that he has for you. If he gave you his life, how can he withhold anything from you? Jesus' heart, his whole purpose is to just give things to people. It has been taught in the past that there's, there's mysteries that, that God and Jesus and heaven is all trying to hide from us. But he said over and over again with Paul, Paul says, the mystery's been revealed. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. God's not trying to keep things from you. He's trying to get things to you as quick as he can. Because he loves you. He's your shepherd, and he wants to take care of the sheep. He wants to help the sheep. He wants the sheep to grow. He wants to love on the sheep. And so what was special in the Old Testament on certain people and certain times and certain ways that, that, that God would allow people to get anointed with oil, the shepherd being Jesus cannot hold back from anointing everyone. What was reserved for kings and priests and temples and then God anointed Jesus, Jesus says, I just got to do all that to my sheep. And I'll anoint you, and I'll anoint you, and I'll anoint your head and your head, and I don't care how good, bad, ugly you are, how rich, poor, whatever. If you're a part of my flock, I want to anoint you. Jesus just can't stop. He is the Santa of heaven. He just wants to get things to you. He just wants to send blessing after blessing. He just wants to remind you how much he loves you, how much he cares for you, how much he wants to see you succeed, how proud of you he is. He anoints your head with oil. Whenever I was in Bible school and I went to India for a month and we were there serving the missionary there, we had uh, no opportunities to take showers and or baths. 
um, all we had were two buckets. You have a big bucket, you have a small bucket. You go to the, the little water pump and you fill up the big bucket and then you go to the bathroom and you stand near the drain and you take the small bucket in the big bucket and you dump it over you. And it's usually lukewarm, dirty water already and it's like a thousand degrees. I would hate to live in India in that hot of weather and then go to hell after that. That would just be complete torture. And so you just dump this water and you never feel clean and you, you, and we did that for a month. That's how we bathed. That's how we did that. When we were coming back to America, we had a layover in London for like 24, 48 hours and the person that was with us with the school got us a hotel. So we went to the hotel and he says, hey, y'all clean up, do whatever, and then we're going to go uh, eat dinner in London. And we walked into this room and number one, it was a room that had air conditioned. And so me and the guy that were in there just turned the air condition on full blast. And it was a bed that we hadn't laid in an actual mattress in a month. And we just both laid on our separate beds and, and, and we're just so thankful. And uh, I said, well, I'm going to go take a shower. And I go into the bathroom and part of me is like looking for the buckets. Where's my, where's my big bucket, my little bucket? And I turn on the shower and I mean, the power that comes out of this shower was unbelievable. I turned it as hot as I could get it. And I remember stepping into that shower, the hottest shower, the cleanest I had ever felt in my life, as I just let that hot water just pour from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. And I just stood there and felt like I was just washing off all of India for the last month. Because for that month period, I was doing the best that I could do. I was taking a little cup of water. Oh, okay, let's try it this way. Okay, okay, still not clean. But there was an outside source that had more power, that had more cleansing ability than I had the ability to do that I got to just step into freely and receive. He anoints your head with oil. Look at Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the kindness, thank you, Father, and the love of God, what is, what is the kindness and the love of God look like? Here's the answer. Our Savior toward man appeared, verse 5, not by works of righteousness, not by dumping buckets on me, which we have done, but according to what? His mercy. According to his shower head, he saved us. Look at this. Look at the shower through the washing of the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Look at this, verse 6, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. He's anointed our head with oil. He's given us the victory to sit down at this table while the enemies think that they've won. He's anointed our head with oil, and it goes from the top of my head to the soles of my feet, and it cleanses me, and it washes me, and it refreshes me. And not only does he pour the oil on top of my head, it also says in the Scriptures that the Holy Spirit is a oil is a representation of the Holy Spirit, which we know in the New Covenant, the Holy Spirit is inside of us. So not only do I have oil flowing on the outside of me, I have oil on the inside of me working through me. As well, He anoints my head with oil, whom he poured out, not just a little bit. Here's one drop, boop, and maybe if you get better, then I'll give you two drops next week. No, no, no. He poured abundantly 
exceedingly, multiplication, our God of abundance through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And the last benefit, we're landing the plane here, my cup runs over. My cup runs over. The great shepherd and the overseer of our soul, the scripture says, decides to fill your cup. Not only does he decide to fill your cup, he decides how much to fill your cup. And the amount that he decides to pour into your cup is more than enough, is an overabundance, is an overflow. If I'm up in heaven and I'm one of the angels that's responsible for manufacturing whatever needs to go into the cup, I'm going to give a report to God and say, hey, listen, we can't keep overflowing people's cups. I got angels working overtime. We could just put a little bit in their cup and see how they react to that. We could just fill it up to the brim and let them take a little sip of it. That'd be great. But you're being wasteful, God, in overflowing their cup. And not just their cup, but everybody's cup. We're having to overproduce so much is being wasted that's being poured out everywhere. But that's not God's plan. That's not God's heart. He says, I'll create the oil and I'll pour the oil all over them. I'll say what they need in their cup, and I'll fill their cup, and I'll cause it to overflow. Because if it overflows, that means there's people around them that could step in it and experience it. What do you need your cup filled with? Is it salvation? Is it love? Is it peace? Is it mercy? Is it joy? Is it acceptance? Whatever you need, God says, I'm going to fill their cup, but I'm going to fill it to how I want to see it done, overflowing. So much, Mo, that I, so much so that I can fill you with love and it overflows. Now it's overflowing into your family, into your coworkers, into your children, into your household, into your church. Because the scripture says, I am called to be blessed and be a blessing to others. Psalms 116 verse 13 says, I will take up the cup of salvation. And call upon the name of the Lord. I will take up the cup of salvation and will call upon the name of the Lord. We have a great representation of a cup overflowing here in Williston. Down the road, whether you've been or not been, you've probably heard of it. It's called Healing Springs. And if you've ever been to Healing Springs, there are just these pipes that are sticking out of the ground that are just pouring water. In my mind, that's wasteful. We shouldn't just have water pouring everywhere. And people go and bring as many vessels as they want. And they fill it up. And the way they know that it's filled up is when it starts overflowing onto the ground. And then we move it and then we cover it up and bring it to our car. Part of me wants to go run and say, hey, hey, don't spill it. This ground, it says, has been deeded to God. It is for God. It is God's property. And you are wasting his water. He would not be happy. But he would be. Because God is in the overflowing business. Knowing that the water just flows back in. And is used again. My cup overflows. That Healing Springs is yes a place here. But also a beautiful spiritual example. That we can go to God, our healing spring, and I can bring my empty, dirty, broken, crusty vessel, and I can get it washed out in the Word. 
I can get it washed by him. And not only just washed and restored, but I can also get it filled up. And not just filled up so I can make it till next Sunday, but I can have an overflow and abundance to where I can make it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then I show up Sunday excited, not dragging into church on Sunday like, oh, I'm so thirsty. I've been in the desert all week. How am I going to make it? And then we have to like, all right, guys, come on, worship God. Here we go. Come on, let's have fun. Yay, we love Jesus. No, but we show up to church ready to worship, ready to be used, ready to work, ready to serve, ready to to be empowered by God because the cup has overflowed day after day after day, and it's not just me getting refilled on Sunday. It's empowering me and overflowing me so I go and do what I need to do on Monday. My cup overflows. God, the all-sufficient one, is ready to overflow whatever you need in your life. But you have to go to the source and ask, He is more than willing to fill you up and give you more than enough to help you in your time of need. My last scripture, I'm finishing with this, Romans 15, 13. Paul is writing to the church of Rome, and he says this prayer as he's finishing the the writing. Now may the God of hope fill you, fill you up, overflowing, with all joy. Not just some, with all joy. Not with just some peace, all peace in believing. That why? That you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The all-sufficient one, El Shaddai, is here today to help you. The great shepherd, the great overseer of your soul is here today to help you and always with you. That when you think you're surrounded by enemies, that you take time and rest and celebrate with Jesus, knowing that he is on your side and you are victorious knowing that he is ready to anoint you with oil from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, not only on the outside but also the inside with the Holy Spirit being inside of you everywhere you go, leading and guiding you into all truth. And also that your cup will overflow, that he is ready and willing to help you in whatever you need, fill you up and overflow so that you can help others as well. Amen. Next week we will talk about verse 6. Let's stand up as we get ready to head out. Father, we thank you. That you are a gracious God. We thank you that you are El Shaddai. You are our all-sufficient one. Our all-sufficient one. That we have needs. We all have different needs. And you are sufficient enough to meet all of those needs. You are all-powerful. You are all-knowing. And you are all-gracious. So, Father, I ask you to be gracious to your people. Help your people. Encourage your people. Love your people. Father, I think you will just speak scripture over your people, that they have the mind of Christ. Father, your word says that by Jesus' stripes, they are already healed. Father, there are people that are not in church today because they are dealing with sickness and disease. And Father, whatever room, wherever they're at right now, in the name of Jesus, their body is healed. We speak healing into those members' bodies that aren't here today because of sickness and say, by Jesus' stripes, they are already healed. You sent your word, and today, even right now, we send your word to their house, to their room, to their bed, and you heal them of all disease and all destruction. Father, I thank you that each and every person here, your word says they are the head and not the tail. They are above and not beneath. They are blessed in the city and blessed in the field. They are blessed where they are right now, and they are blessed in the future that you're bringing them into. Father, everything these people put their hands to must prosper in the name of Jesus. And finally, Father, I thank you that we are the salt and light of the earth, a city set on a hill. We refuse to be hidden. Father, use us this week 
to encourage people, to tell people about the great overseer of our soul, the all-sufficient one, the great shepherd, the provider, the lover of our soul. Father, give us an opportunity to invite people to church, invite people to know this great Jesus that we know. Now, Father, bless your people, protect your people, cause them to prosper in everything they do this week, and bring them back safely. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you. Thank you so much for being in church, and we will see you next week. Take care, man. Thank you for listening to Press Church Podcast. If you would like more information about us or are interested in giving to our ministry, you can click the link in our bio or visit presschurch.org. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Press Church SC, and have a great week.